Well, let's pray. Let's dive into God's word for us today. Let's pray together, church. Jesus, thank you for gathering us together. Thank you for a new year, a new beginning. And God, we know that time hasn't sped up or slowed down, but we see a calendar turnover. And Father, I pray that uh, for those who, look at, who are looking for it, God, that today would also be uh, a day where, where something new turns over, where, where a new beginning can start. Uh, God, we, we come to the very beginning of a year, and I think everybody in the room, there's some aspects of something going on inside of us that, that hopes and dreams that this year is better than the last. We don't want, nobody in here, God, wants our, wants our lives to be worse than they were. We come in today, God, longing for life that is better. And Father, I pray that you remind us that the true life, the better life, uh, the good life is only truly found in you. And so Jesus, I pray that today by uh, us going into your word and us leaning into some, some basic principles of what does it look like to practice these spiritual disciplines and see them work out in our lives, that they will become evident in our lives. That we would take the focus off of all the things we think we need to be successful. And that we would be people who come before you today with faith that grows. In your name, amen. And that's really where I want to start, guys, is success. Like at the turn of this new year, your new year begins and we can all be kind of going, okay, 2022 is starting and whatever 2021 and 2020 were, they were. And for a lot of us, there has been kind of collateral damage. There's parts of what happened in those two years that are kind of still hanging around with us that we don't even realize or understand fully yet. But my hope is we can come into this place where we're at right now and go, what's behind us is behind us. It is what it is, and we need to actually move forward. We need to move forward into something new. And I think what we all get to these places and think, and I don't know if you set resolutions and all these other types of things, but I would hope everybody in the room would want to have a successful 2022, whether that's whatever definition you find yourself in, a successful financially. You want to see yourself get out of debt. You want to see yourself get a job where you can actually stop living paycheck to paycheck and having all the stress that comes with that. I want to have a life that's maybe successful in regards to uh, starting a family. And, and we've been trying and trying and trying. And we're trying to get this thing going, but we have not been successful yet. Our success maybe is, is finding a spouse, finding a partner, finding someone to be able to do life with. Success is finally being able to handle and manage the stuff that you've got going on inside of you. I, I, you've got all sorts of definitions of what success would look like for you in 2022. And I do too. And maybe for you, success is just making it one more day. Maybe success is coming to a place where you actually spend more time in God's word. You're more open to how he would lead you. Where, where you start that thing that he's been telling you to start, where you begin to make those changes that he's been telling you to make, we all have definitions of what success looks like, but I wanna get us all on the same page today. Before we start the new year, before you jump in, before you say, man, success is me losing this amount of weight or success is me getting this much debt knocked out or whatever it is, I wanna give us a biblical definition of what success actually is. First and foremost, if you are a follower of Christ, successfulness is faithfulness. Successfulness is faithfulness. The Bible says this really clear. Hebrews 11, chapter six, or chapter 11, verse six says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So you can wanna be successful about a lot of things, but biblically, 
our definition of what a successful life looks like is one that is faithful to Christ. It says without faith, it's impossible to please God. But I love that other part of that verse. It says, look, whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So you can hear somebody say that and start a new year going, okay, successfulness is faithfulness. And if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, what it looks like to be successful, it looks like being faithful. And you can hear that. And honestly, man, a lot of us, we can hear that and it just causes more stress, more tension and more anxiety. Because you think about how faithful you've been to Jesus in 2021 and you go, hmm, I, I, I was faithful f- for tithing like two weeks and then stuff happened. I, I was faithful in church attendance for like four weeks and then stuff happened. I, I, I was faithful in my quiet time for three days, I think, one time, and, and then something happened. And you can look at a definition of success, spiritually speaking, and go, well, if success is being faithful, I still fail. And I still have a hard time feeling like I'm measuring up. I still feel like I'm struggling with the same things I'm struggling with. And maybe you find yourself asking this question in regards to success, in regards to faithfulness. If my success in life depends on my faithfulness to Christ, then what was, what is it that my faithfulness to Christ depends on? Think about it like this. You have faith. And you have faith in a lot of things. And my question before we really dive into this deeply is when it comes to your faith, how much of it is put and how well you're able to keep your faith and keep your promises in Jesus and how much of it is in how much he's able to keep his promises to you. See, I think when we hear a word like, your success is your faithfulness. And for Jesus, he's not gonna look at us and go, hey, well done, good and successful servant. Well done, you can get into that bathing suit. Well done, you're out of debt. Well done, you have good attendance. Well done, you have that job. He doesn't look at us and go, well done, you did all these things. He looks at us and goes, well done, good and faithful servant. It's a person with faith that's pleasing to him. Well, that Bible says very clear, we just talked about, it. without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, if my successfulness in life is determined by my faithfulness to Christ, then the the big question is, what is your faithfulness to Christ determined by? What's your faithfulness to Christ determined by? Here's the answer. And I think this is where we don't get, Satan wants us to think that our success is just based off of what we do. Here's what I want you to understand. His faithfulness to us is step one, is what leads to our faithfulness to him. See, a lot of us, we believe this kind of backwards religion that Jesus becomes more and more faithful to me, more and more enduring to me, more and more positive thinking about me, the more faithful I am to him. That's not how it works. He's faithful. He's true. His promises come after us. They seek us. He loves us. He's always wanting us to meet with him, to come to him, to be with him. And even when we're not faithful, even when we deny, even when we're lethargic, even when our, our best intentions fall by the wayside, it does nothing to affect his faithfulness to you. There's a passage I wanna to read to you. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. You can turn to it in your Bible. It's not gonna be on the screens, but Hebrews 10, 23 says this. When I haven't been able to hold on to much in life, this has been a passage that's helped me. 
Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. And again, that's, that's a big part. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, which I would just pause there and ask a question. What are you confessing to have most hope in? Most hope in the stock exchange, most, most hope in your retirement, most hope in what the economy is gonna do, most hope in uh, this person noticing you, most hope in wh- whatever, fill in your blank. What are you confessing to have most hope in? He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. And I love the last part. For he who promised is faithful. See, whether or not you'll hold on to the promise of Jesus, it actually doesn't have to do with how strong your grip is. It has to do with how strong his is. It says, he who promised is faithful. And that's the foundational truth to all of this. Because if it's not, well then, what we'll actually end up worshiping is our own willpower. We'll worship how many days we can consecutively go without doing that thing. We'll worship how many times we can have enough patience when we're in the break room and we wanna share that juicy gossip and we can just bite our tongue. We'll worship those things instead of worshiping the God who is faithful to us that transforms us into those things. So as we get ready to start the year, and lean into all the things that God has for us and all the things God hoping for us. Here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about someone in your life who you admire their faith. Like you admire, whether it's their relationship with God, whether it's that, that person that, man, if something is going on in life, you're, you're gonna call them, you're gonna talk to them. It's that person to where if something really is going wrong or somebody is really sick, they're the person, they're the one person you know, I'm texting them to pray. Who's someone who you admire their faith. You would say, man, if, if, if in 2022, my faith looks more like theirs, it will have been a good year. Who's that person? See, what you may not know about whoever that person is, whether it's a mom, a grandpa, a Sunday school teacher, somebody, whoever that person is, what you need to know about their faith is their faith got to where it is, not because of a new year's resolution. Their faith got to where it is because of of this thing that we could call a bunch of different things. We could call it a routine. We could call it spiritual discipline. We could call it habits. You call it a bunch of different things, but some of it is rhythmic time meeting with Jesus. It's it's having a routine. It's being systematic. It's practicing disciplines. And so what I want to walk you through today is that simple principle that the thing that will help us the most in this coming year is not making a new year's resolution, not saying, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a resolution to do this or to go this many days without doing this, but to actually be someone who develops spiritual habits and routines. We see these all throughout scripture and they can change our lives in a huge, huge way because at the end of the day, guys, I, I believe this with all my heart, you don't need a new resolution. It won't last. You need a new routine. Our routines and our habits are what make us who we are. Romans 12, two says this. It says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, let's break that down for a second. He says, don't conform to the pattern of the world. Now catch that. He didn't say, don't just conform to the world. Like don't just be like the world. He's saying, don't conform to the pattern of the world, which means the world, it has a way of doing certain things. The world has a way, it's a pattern, it's rhythmical. The world has a routine. And he says, don't conform to the patterns of the world. And you've seen this. You've seen it predictable in people's lives. You've seen the kid who, yeah, they, they get kicked off the baseball team. And then they start hanging out with the wrong crowd. And the wrong crowd introduces them to the wrong substance. And the wrong substance introduces them to some laws that are broken. 
And you see these things. It's a pattern. You see it go. You see the, the wife start hanging out with a certain group of people. And then she goes a certain way. And then this other thing happens. And then this other thing happens. And all the things that happen in our life that we think, oh, that's the thing that blew up our life. There was a pattern that led to that. And see what Paul is saying here in Romans when he's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, okay, listen, there is in your life, there's already this pattern that is hardwired into the world that goes this way, that will habitually lead you to a negative result. But in the very same way, he says, don't conform to that pattern, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we hear that, and I think we just think, okay, well, Jesus, just sprinkle some of that magic transform dust in my brain and just let that thing get transformed. But you gotta understand, the same way that you conform to the patterns of the world is the same way you are transformed into a new creation, into who Jesus really created you to be. It takes patterns. It takes habits. It's something that is actually rhythmic, the daily being in God's word, the daily coming and engaging with people who are following what, after, what you're following after. It's daily, and that's how change happens. There's an author uh, named Sean Covey, and he wrote a, a really good book on habits. Um, and I think what he says, I'm going to show you a quote in a second. I think it fits really well with what Paul is saying in Romans 12 too. He said this about habits. He says, our habits make or break us. We become what we repeatedly now, man, if there is ever a, a pretty scary passage or a scary quote, it's that. It's true. Our habits make or break us. Our routines, you can call them whatever you want to call them. Habits, disciplines, routines, rituals, whatever you want to call them. They make you or they break you. And that's a good enough thing to go, okay, I understand that. But then when you take that last part, which I think is just Sean Covey ripping off what Paul said in Romans 12 too, when he says, you become what you repeatedly do. Well, then we gotta ask ourselves a, a pretty intimidating question as we start off this new year, if we really want change to happen in our life. If you want this year to be any different than what it was the year before, you can blame it on the situation. You can blame it on whatever new variant you want to blame it on. You can blame whatever your life is like on a hundred different things, or you can take ownership and responsibility and ask a really big, really scary question like, what are my habits? What are my routines? What are my rituals? What are those things leading me to become? Who is this making me? Your screen time habit, my screen time habit, Ability to just stare at a phone. I mean, again, we're, we're, again, if there's anything that we all probably have a little bit of struggle with, my ability to spend four or five, however many hours on a phone just staring at that, that habit is something that we can either just go, that's just a part of our life. Or we can go, what is this habit leading me to become? Who is this making me? Someone who compares my life based off of how well other people's life are doing and how mine compares to them? The habit of, of what you look at. The habit of, of, of cutting those corners. The habit of, of pressing snooze 73 times. The habit of, and here's one that we justify, especially some of us men in the room, we justify this one. The habit of working late when you said you wouldn't. 
See, we live in a really scary society that wears a workaholism and wears busyness as a badge of honor, like it's something to be proud of. But behind so much of that are broken families. And we see it happen over time. I was a youth pastor for my first the seven years in ministry. And I, and I sat in my office with dads who were going, I don't know why they're acting out. I give them everything they need. And then I'm sitting as like a 23-year-old in my, in, I'm like, I'm 23. I can get this. How can you? You have not given them everything they need. They need you. They don't need a new phone. They don't need to be on the travel. They, they need a father who loves them and gives them attention, gives them the time of day. They need you. So it's a big, scary question. But if anything's gonna change, you have to be honest with your answer. What are your habits leading you to become? What are your rituals and routines leading you to become? And are you okay with that? Are you okay with that being who you are made into? It's a good time to talk about these because it really is a struggle. Paul understood the struggle. In the book of Romans, Paul, he wrote this. It's a... It's pretty intense because you look at a guy like Paul and you're like, man, that guy's a hero of faith. And then Romans 7, 15, he can say something like this. Romans 7, 15, he says, and we all can relate. You may have heard this before. I do not understand what I do. <laughs> and I love that Paul didn't say, I don't understand what Timothy does. If Paul wasn't married, but he wouldn't have written, even if he was, I don't understand what my wife is doing. I don't understand my husband. I don't understand what they got going on. Paul took ownership of what was going on in his own life. He says, I don't understand even what I do. He says, for what I want to do, I do not do. So Paul, like many of you, he had hopes and dreams of what his life would look like. He had hopes and dreams of the things that he would be able to attain to. He had hopes and dreams of the things that he would stop doing. He says, all those things that in my mind, in my heart, like even in my willpower, even in my prayers, those are the things that I was saying, I don't want to do those anymore. Even the apostle Paul should give us great, great peace and confidence to know that we have something in common with him, the great hero in our faith. He goes, I still do those things I don't want to do. And then he goes on, he says, but what I hate to do I do. <laughs> Anybody relate? Just, just, you don't have to raise your hand. Just nod. Yeah. The thing that I hate to do. The thing that as soon as I'm done with it, I get so ashamed. I get I just a wave of guilt washes over me that every time I do it, I, I, that thing that I don't want to do, I still do. And the thing I want to do, the good thing, I, can't, I, I just have a hard time doing it sometimes. And the very thing that I hate to do, I still find myself doing it. I still find myself going and checking and seeing what they're up to. I still find myself believing that I really don't have what it takes. I still find myself filling your own personal blank. And he goes on from there. And Paul, he's kind of a little bit of a nosedive here, but he's gonna pull out. Verse 18, he says this. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That's a really bold thing to say. And it's a really good thing to admit. Good itself does not dwell in me, which kicks completely in the face, this Christian idea that we're all just good people. No, <laughs> you're not. We're, we're like, we're broken, messed up, sinful people. Hearts that are wicked above all. And in and of myself, in and of Trent, there is nothing good in me. And Paul got that. He says, there's nothing good in Paul. Now, again, if Christ is in you, then something way better than good is in you. But he says, in and of myself, Paul's realizing, man, there's nothing good in me. 
He goes on, he says, in me, there's nothing good. That is in my sinful nature. Again, he wasn't talking about in Christ, in him. He's saying in my sinful nature, there's nothing good. In my old ways, in my old way of thinking, in my old way that wants to conform to the pattern of the world, there's nothing good in me. He says, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. And then, he does what so many of us are tempted to do when we get into places where we're doing things that we don't want to do and we want things to change, but they're not changing. We see who we want to become, but we can't get there yet. He does what so many of us do. He connects his failure to do those things to his identity. In verse 24, he says, and I believe there really is an exclamation point, and I can see him writing this, this letter to the church in Rome. What a wretched man I am. Now, again, this is like no fun on New Year's. But I think this is where we have to start. It takes ownership and realizing, okay, I don't have what it takes. And again, I'd be very cautious here. Because of your sin, because of your mistakes, because of your sins, you are wretched. But there is hope in Christ. And see what Paul does here is he says, I'm not gonna allow my failure to determine my identity. Look where he goes from there. What a wretched man I am. And then he asks a really big question that I encourage you to ask too. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's as if Paul goes, who can change us? Who can deliver us? Who can set me free? And then he clearly answers, Christ is my source. Christ is my strength. Christ is my healing. He is my hope. He is the one who can make all things new. And if anybody can change Paul, a guy who went from murdering Christians, it's Jesus. And if anybody can help change you, someone who is really trying to be a good Christian maybe, it's Jesus. And his faithfulness to you, his fact that you don't have to worship how you worship him. You just have to worship him. Should be freedom. Should be freedom to go, Jesus, all the things that I thought I needed to do, all the things that I thought I needed to do to make you proud of me, to make you understand me better, all those things, they're not the focus of my faith in you anymore. Your faithfulness to me, the fact that you never leave, that you never forsake, the fact that you went through the gates of hell, through death and sin, and rose victorious with the keys to all of death, all of Hades, that fact should be what keeps me here. And so, simply put, guys, 2022 is, is probably not gonna be an easy year. And walking with Christ is not gonna be a cakewalk. It's not gonna be easy. There are gonna be times when it's hard. There's gonna be times where it's gonna feel lonely. By God's grace, I, I hope that because of the church, you feel less lonely because of Jesus walking with you, speaking to you, communicating to you, you feel less lonely, but it's not going to be easy. And so I still go back to what we said earlier though. If it's going to change, it's gonna understand that you become what you repeatedly do. And your habits in a large part determine who you are. So what you need, not necessarily some crazy New Year's resolution. We need new routines. We need new habits. So what I'll walk you through in the time we have left are three reasons why we actually fail 
at becoming who God is calling us to be, why we actually fail at doing those things that we think we want to do to become who we want to become. First one, if you're taking notes, you can write these down. First reason we fail is we focus on what, but we don't understand how. We focus on what we want to do. I want to read my Bible more. I, I want to serve more. I want to, you know, and this is, I, I always call, call people to like caution on these types of things. I just want to feel better about myself. Well, what does that mean? And when will you know that you do? I just want to be happy. I just want to be at peace. See, we can understand what we want, but until you understand that it's how, that it's systems, that it's routines, patterns that lead to those things, you'll never, ever get there. The results that I believe we all want to see are not things that are determined by the goals that you set. Because most of us in the room, like almost everybody in the room probably have very similar goals. Like we want to uh, raise, you know, decent kids. We want to have healthy relationships. We want to not be in poverty. We want to uh, not have crazy high levels of stress. Like that. Most of us in the room, we have a lot of this very similar goals. Some people get them and some people don't. I think a huge determining factor in that are the habits we set, the routines that we gravitate to. Because one of the things I've learned through the course of 2022, or 2021, 20, and all those other things, is that when the proverbial crud hits the fan in life, you don't rise to the level of the resolutions that you set. You don't rise to the level of your goals. When the crud hits the fan in life, do you know what you fall back to? You fall back to your habits. That's why as the, these two years, there were relapses through the roof. Because when crisis happens, you fall to your habits. You fall to the systems you have in place because they became a safe place when everything else was in turmoil. And so I wanna show you a guy in scripture named Daniel. And crisis happened in his life. But even in the midst of crisis happening in his life, he had a system, he had routines and it gave him hope that allowed him to become one of the heroes of our faith. If you know a little bit about the story of Daniel, Daniel was this guy um, who was a very successful, very strong leader. Uh, he was Jewish, Jewish boy. Uh, the Jewish nation, the Israelites, they're actually taken captive by the Babylonian empire. Babylonian comes in, they take them captive. And what they do is they kind of go out and they're like headhunters to go figure out who are the best of the best of the Israelite boys, and they pick Daniel and some other guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those guys. They take those guys in. Now, Daniel, as he's there, as he's helping out King Darius, who's the king of the Babylonian Empire at the time, he gets people who hate him. They hate how wise he is. They hate how intelligent he is. They hate that he doesn't worship the God that they do. They hate his morals. They hate his behavior. They hate pretty much everything about Daniel. And so what they know is the king has a place for pride in his heart. And, and like all good kings, I guess, he wants everybody to grovel at his feet. And so what these guys do is they come and they make up this new rule. And this new rule is that, that if you're gonna pray, you can only pray to Darius. Now they know, and they do this on purpose, they know that this is all just to catch Daniel breaking the law. And so they go to Darius and they uh, tickle his pride get him to set this new rule. And then we see what happens. Daniel 6.10 says, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, <laughs> he went home, knelt down, underlined those two words, as usual. As usual in his upstairs room with his windows open 
towards Jerusalem, windows open. I wasn't trying to hide it. He's being as, as obvious. He was doing the same thing he'd always done. He went with his windows open towards Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. See, when he knew, when he knew that if he prayed, he was gonna be in trouble. He didn't fall to the level of his dreams and aspirations and everything else. He fell to the level of where he had put his hope. He fell to his routine, which was to go to God. And my youngest son, his middle name is Daniel. He's got one of the stories in the Bible that we love to pitch to our kids as a great hero story. But why was Daniel a hero? Daniel, and this is so simple, but it's so powerful. The reason Daniel was a hero was because of a habit which should give us some, some, some consolation today. Because some, listen, I'm not gonna make you raise your hand because it would be shameful, I guess. I don't know. If I asked you all to raise your hand if you have a bad habit, everybody should raise their hand. Almost everybody in the room should have a bad, you probably have a bad habit. I'm just gonna go out on a strong limb and guess you have a bad habit. But hear me, if you have a strong bad habit, do you know what you're actually good at? Habits. You, you have proven to yourself that you are capable of having a habit. And if you have a strong, bad one, you're actually really good at habits. We should give you some consolation because you can do it. Like the fact that you have a bad one proves that you can do a habit. We just have to, we have to make it not a bad one, but a good one. One that's life-giving. One that, that's life-altering. One that when the crud hits the fan in your life, when the storms come, when the floodwaters rise up, that if you go back to that habit, it'll be something that can actually sustain you so that in the same way Daniel is a hero in our faith, your kids can look at you and go, dad's a hero in my faith. Because when he lost his job, I watched what that hero did. My mom's a hero in my faith because when, when things got crazy, when the storms came, when, when, when the illness came, when the sickness, when the diagnosis came, all those things happened, I watched their faith fall to the level of the habits that held it up, the godly habits, the one that had created this godly character inside of them. Because friend, the hero you wanna be in your faith, for your family, at work, like we talked about last week, who you wanna be remembered as, those things will be determined. Not by the crazy New Year's resolutions you set, by the routines you have in your life simple as they may seem. Another reason we fail is we don't see progress fast enough. We set out to do something and we go a couple of days and we don't see any results. And spiritually speaking, it could be the same thing as getting on the scale. You go run, you jog, you eat better, you get, you get on the scale and you weigh exactly the same thing. And you go, <sighs> or you cancel all the subscriptions to all the things that you have because you're trying to get out of debt. And then you go and you log back in and you look at that big bank number. And now instead of owing $3,453, you owe 3050 And you're like, what happened? And you go and you start, you don't see results fast. So we just kind of give up because the other side of that is true. You could go do the hard thing. You could say no to that thing. You could get up and spend the time in the word and you could be somewhere in numbers and you just read a genealogy for two hours and you're like, God, this is not what I thought it was gonna be. Because we have these grand dreams that, man, I'm gonna, 
every time I've got to get in God's word and every time I show up to his church service, every time I do these things, it's got to be this, like this emotional experience where like church wasn't good that day if I didn't get tinglys in my arm and the Holy Spirit wasn't moving unless people were just raising their hands and dancing around and there was a snowball fight. Like, no, it's rhythmic, methodical, Sometimes, I'm going to be honest here as far as walking with Jesus, sometimes it is going to be drudgery. You're going to read a passage, you're going to go through a quiet time, you're going to go, I have no idea why I need this. And then six months are going to go by and somebody's going to show up on your doorstep and you're going to figure out why. That's how God works. So because we don't see results fast enough, a lot of us give up on the things that would lead to the ones we all actually want. Last reason why we... um, continue to uh, fail at these is a distorted identity. A distorted identity, what it does is it sabotages our success. Because when we fail, we believe this lie, this lie that says, because I did something bad, I am something bad. See, that's what shame does. Shame gets you to believe that you are something bad because you did something bad. When Jesus is just okay with you being guilty, guilt is enough for him. Just be guilty. Holy Spirit's there to give us some guilt. What you need to understand is for all of us, wherever you're at in life, your identity, what you view about yourself will shape your actions. You don't believe this is true? How many, some of you grew up in a house like this. You grew up in a house where every time your mother introduced you, she, you said, she's my shy one. So you knew from then on, like, I just got to kind of, my identity is I'm the shy one. And whether you even realize it or not, you just played into that identity that was given to you. Are you the kid who was like, well, you know, they introduced, well, this is my shy one, and this one's an animal. Well, that animal has ears. And if you spend long enough calling it an animal, you know what it's going to act like when it goes to third grade and fourth grade and fifth grade and seventh grade? And church, when it's a 20-year-old? An animal. And that's why there's, there's power in our words. And we, a few weeks ago, we, we were going through, Jesus was talking about false prophets. And I didn't get a chance to say it then, but I was, I was praying through it and processing through it. You know, like the most powerful false prophet in your life is you. You speak to, your, <laughs> you speak to yourself way more than I do. You speak to you way more than any pastor, way more than any person on the radio, way more than any, anybody else. You speak to you. And your words are incredibly powerful. And they're prophetic too. When something happens, you say, oh, we ain't never going to get through this. Or maybe you will. Or this is it. No, it's not. See, our words have power. And what we believe about who we are, deep down on the inside, there's nothing that has more power over your life than that right there. Than what you believe about who Jesus is and who he has made you to be. That's the most powerful thing in your life. And if you don't get anything, if you don't hear anything that I'm saying, I need you to understand that who, who you are in Christ is more important than what you're doing, what you would do this year, whatever goals, hopes, dreams, and aspirations. What if we actually started there? So that's, that's a big question that I wanna leave you with as we get ready to receive communion is to ask yourself that question. 
not, okay, the new year is coming. What do I want to do? What do I want to do this year? I want to start that business. I want to adopt a child. I want, I want to get pregnant. I want to find a spouse. I want to get out of debt. I want to lose this weight, whatever those things are. Fill in whatever blank you may have before you go and ask yourself, okay, what all those things do I want to do? Ask yourself the question, who do I want to be? Who do I want to be? Do I want to be a more present father? Do I want to be somebody who gives their time willingly? Do I want to be somebody that the people at work, when something bad happens, that they would come to me and actually go, hey, will you pray for me? Who do you want to be? Do you want to be a friend? Do you want to be somebody who's actually forgiven? Like you know you've wronged somebody and you never went and asked them for forgiveness. You want to be somebody who's no longer bitter? Somebody who's going, okay, I'm over it. I'm really over it, like over, over it. As the band comes back up and we go into a time of communion, that's the question I want you to ask Jesus. Jesus, before I get all consumed with what I want to do this year, who do you want me to be? Who do you want me to be? Pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that it's sufficient. Sufficient for a moment like this to bring us the revelation we need to figure out, simply put, that the person all of us need to become is you. Now it's gonna look different as it fleshes itself out. But Jesus, we pray that it does. We pray that we would be surrendered, God, not to uh, whatever misplaced identity we have because of what we have done or have not done, but we would surrender ourselves to who you are in and through us. That when people see us, they see less of us and they see more of you. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for the cross, for all of our sins. Could I have forgiveness? Thank you for the empty tomb that proves to us that there is not only a victory now, but a victory coming. That one day every tear we've cried over the last few years, every tear that we'll cry in this coming year, every um, fingernail that gets bitten, every uh, teardrop that gets cried this year, God, you know every single one. So God, as we embark on whatever this next year will be, Let the message of Christmas stay with us through the entire year. That you are Emmanuel. That you are God with us. Molding us, shaping us, and transforming us by the patterns of spiritual discipline into who we always could be. In you. In your name.